Once again, we are looking to the text of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We'll read this together from the board. Actually, it's a little lengthy, so I'll just read it as you follow along. This is the word of the Lord. He says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, your labor of love, and steadfastness of hope, in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, by God, his choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything, for they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you. And how you turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Father, we thank you so much for these precious promises that, Lord, you are indeed mighty to save that, Lord, I pray that in that salvation we would proclaim that here I am, that we are yours and we are ready to be used for your purposes. Lord, I pray especially for this dear one that is approaching the end of her life that does not know you as Savior. Lord, I pray so much for Sue's witness to her. I pray that she will know Christ, know him crucified, and know him risen. Lord, that you would be merciful to her and save her soul. Lord, I pray for others in our community that are in so need of your salvation. And Father, as we come to this time in your word, may you remind us that even though you, we are yours and we are adopted and justified, that there are still areas in all of our lives that we must be sanctified, that must be redeemed. And Father, we pray that you will continue to move us toward Christ-likeness, We know that we will never lose your love. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And yet, Lord, in so many areas, we choose to remain self-strong, self-sufficient. And I pray this morning as we look into your word, we would see those areas and begin to bring them to your throne. Lord, we pray that you would make us more like Christ in everything we do. May we share our faith in our community and with one another. May we be yours in everything. It is in your name we pray, amen. Man, you may be seated, and you can go ahead and be turning in your copy of God's Word to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And while you're turning there, um, like I said, we've, there has been kind of a method to the madness. Um, we have been going through a series that has basically been going through a foundation and a theology of ministry. We took a break from it last week. Uh, while I was in Colorado, Brother Art uh, uh, covered the pulpit for me, and he did a wonderful job, didn't he? He did. 
wonderful representative of the Lord as he stood behind this sacred desk last Sunday. So thankful to the Eubanks. By the way, they couldn't be here today. Uh, they're still having to move out of their house over to uh, uh, right across the street from Art and Bobby, actually. And so uh, they're trading a, a good neighborhood for a bad neighborhood. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, uh, crazy, make, crazy neighbors just make it or break it for me. So, uh, so anyway, <laughs> but uh, we are thankful for all of the men who came yesterday and helped them to move. Brother Steve, uh, Brother Roy, thank you guys so much for assisting them in that. And so, but what I want to do is I want to just kind of show you real quick, and I have this on paper. I, I gave this to the deacons uh, several weeks ago, and uh, just a way, just so you can kind of see logically the flow, you know, just kind of everything we've been talking about, and that the number one goal of our ministry and really of our lives is to glorify God. Now, I know that's really small. I made it as large as I could uh, for the board. But our number one goal is to glorify God. And as we said before, we in our flesh cannot do that. So if our goal is to glorify God, if we are designed to glorify God, and yet we cannot do that, then the question is, how can we do that? And that is God provides the means to do that. And that is through his son, Jesus Christ. And so God provides the grace in that Jesus came and he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is our ultimate provision for ministry. And remember what we said, he who gets the grace, he who gives the grace does what? Gets the glory. The one who gives the grace gets the glory, right? And so uh, Christ is uh, the way, the truth, and the life, and Christ has given gifts. He has given provision to the world so that we can know Christ, and that is the church. And we saw that he gave apostles and prophets and, and all of that, and now today he has given us evangelists and pastor teachers to do what? To, uh, to lead the church in these three summary of ministry, the apostles' teachings, bread, prayers, and fellowship. We talked about that, the provisions, the means by which God has given us to do ministry. And what is the point of all of that? What do we do in all of that? Simply this, we proclaim Christ. We proclaim Christ in everything we do, every means that we do, we proclaim Christ. And we proclaim Christ fully. Yes, he died for our sins, but as we talked about on, uh, on Palm Sunday, he does much more than that. He is our prophet. He is our priest. He is our king. And we proclaim the entire gospel. We proclaim the entire ministry of Christ in the things that we do. Why? To develop you into maturity in Christ-likeness. And what does maturity look like? The scriptures give us three key characteristics of a mature Christian. And those are faith, hope, and love. And a Christian who is mature will be a Christian who is developing and who is growing in their faith, in their hope, and in their love. And that's where I got the statement, knowing the faith, living the faith, sharing the faith. And when we are doing those things, we are growing up in every way into Christ, which in turn glorifies God. So how do we glorify God? Simply this, by becoming Christ-like, by becoming like Christ. So you can, and I, and I tried to, you know, and I, I kind of put all that together just so you can see every one of those little stops along the way has been a sermon in and of itself. 
but I want you to see the logical progression that our goal is to glorify Christ or to glorify God. And the way we do that is through Christ, through the means that he's given us to become like Christ, which glorifies God. (coughs) I promise this is not Corona. I don't know what in the world is causing me to cough like that this morning. But that's okay. In our weakness, he shows his strength, right? So, so that's kind of the logical flow of everything we've been doing. Next week is Mother's Day. We're going to talk about how motherhood is an example of ministry. And, uh, and then we're going to talk about some values uh, the week after that. How does this translate into values, what we value in our ministry? So, and so, uh, but that is the basic flow. That is our goal. Our goal for each and every one of you is that you will know the faith, live the faith, and share the faith. In fact, if you want to concise it all to one statement that you need to remember, I do not expect you to remember all of that, but I do want you to know this, that we want to proclaim Christ at Calvary Baptist Church so that God's people will be mature, knowing the faith, living the faith, and sharing the faith. Can you say those three with me? Knowing the faith, living the faith, sharing the faith. And in fact, Mark, I would love, if we can, I'd love just to kind of get some banners back here that say those three things, you know, just, just constantly keep them in front of you. That we want you to know your faith. We want you to live your faith. We also want you to share it, which is what we're talking about today. How do we share the faith? And, you know, up until this point, Everything we've talked about has been largely internally focused, largely internally focused. What we do when the church gathers, right? You've probably noticed that. Well, where does evangelism fall into this and and those kinds of things? Everything we've talked about so far has been focused in on large biblical gatherings, small group gatherings, whatever it is. But the question now before us is, is that how do we take what God is doing within us and how do we share it outwardly? How does it translate and what translates into how we proclaim Christ and how we demonstrate Christ both among one another and to the world? And that is what we talk about sharing the faith. A mature Christian is growing in faith. He, they know their confession. They are growing in hope. They, they live by the conviction of what they believe. But one that is also growing in love, sharing in community. I save this for last because when it comes, it comes last in this particular text that we are considering, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 2 through 10. Don't think it's the least important. It's not. In fact, beloved, if we are to be known for anything in our community, let it be known for our love. But like I said, don't think it's the least important. It's not. If we're going to be known by anything in our community, oh, Calvary, let us be known for our love. Jesus says in John 13, 35, by this all men will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. It's amazing to me how that verse never shows up in church growth conferences. A, 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 a person will forgive any shortcoming in a church, but they will not forgive a lack of love. Amen? They will not forgive a lack of love, and rightfully so. But I will say this, our love must be biblically defined. 
must be biblically defined. Our culture has hijacked the phrase loving our neighbor today. And they have made it into all kinds of other things and put their own spin to it. And people today endorse all manners of abomination. They endorse all manners of evil. They endorse all kinds of things in the name of loving your neighbor. Do you know that there are so-called evangelical churches right now that are celebrating the fact that Canada has seized the property of Grace Life Church? Because after all, they were not loving their neighbor, right? There are churches that have criticized uh, pastors and and church uh, fellowships that have chosen to obey God rather than men. They'll say they may love their Bible, but they sure don't love their neighbor. People are telling us today that we must endorse and we must embrace and we must tolerate sin because we must love our neighbor. Beloved, uh, Christians are getting bullied to get behind just about everything today in the name of love. And I've left our discussion of love for last because genuine biblical love must be properly ordered. It must be properly defined. In other words, genuine love of neighbor grows out of and from our holiness. And if you genuinely love your neighbor, you will encourage them and want them to be holy. Amen? Say, Randy, where are you getting that? First Corinthians chapter 13. What's First Corinthians 13 all about? Love, right? What does it say? Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. All these churches rejoicing that Pastor James Coates went to prison for preaching the word in Canada. That's not love. Amen? Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Genuine love is built on truth. First John chapter five, verse two, I've shared this with you before. By this, we know that we love the children of God. How? We embrace their sin. No, doesn't say that. What's it say? That we love God and observe his commands. That's how we know we love one another. In other words, genuine love of neighbor Real love grows from holiness. So know the faith, live the faith, share the faith. That is an order. They're not, one is not least important than the other, but there is a proper order because biblical love, genuine love will be properly ordered. Love God, then love your neighbor. And by the way, just so you know, no, there is not some imagined third command there to love yourself. Loving yourself is the problem, not the solution. Okay? And so love God, love neighbor. It's not something we wait around for. It grows out of being more and more like Jesus. It's not something we conjure up in our own strength. It is a supernatural work of God through the Holy Spirit, making us more and more like Jesus Christ so that we love the things that Jesus loves and the people. We hate the sin that Jesus hates. But it's not something we wait around like everything else, like the fruit of the Spirit. It is something that we cultivate. We're gonna see that. 
He says that in uh, chapter four, to excel still more. We are constantly cultivating our love for one another and for community. That's what the Thessalonians did and we see the amazing results, amazing results. Paul was so excited about the Thessalonian church. Don't you wanna be a part of a church that Paul would be excited about? Amen? So how do we do that? Well, among knowing the faith, among living the faith, we must also share the faith. So our third aim to reach our goal is to share the faith. And I mean this primarily in a couple of different ways. Um, we're gonna look at them. First Thessalonians chapter one, verses eight through 10. We're gonna spend most of our time here. But number one, we share the faith most obviously, and I think you could probably guess it. We share our faith most obviously through what? Well, Mark kind of jumped the gun. Evangelism. Evangelism. How many would have guessed that? Oh yeah, everybody raises their hand, right? So, so we share the faith through evangelism. Now, obviously this is the first means we're gonna talk about and sharing the faith is evangelism, but we, we, we mean more than that, but we certainly don't mean less. Certainly don't mean less. The truth is, is that the most loving thing we can do is share the saving message of Jesus Christ and his redemption, Amen. That is the most loving thing we can do. In fact, Paul says in another place, in 2 Corinthians chapter five, he says, we beg you, we beg you on behalf of Christ, on behalf of God, be reconciled to God. Why do we beg? Why do we plead with sinners? Why Don't be too prideful to beg begging people to come to Christ. Why? Because the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ is what is controlling us. Like a parent pleading with a wayward child to come home. Please come home. We are to plead with them, compel them, beg them, be reconciled to Christ. Be reconciled to God. I told you that during COVID, I attended some preaching seminars online, and one of the things that the, one of the guys said, Steve Lawson, who is, in my opinion, one of the best preachers out there, and Steve Lawson said, one of the problems with pastors and preachers today is because we've become too arrogant, we've become too prideful to beg. Don't be too prideful to beg. Come to Christ. Sue, beg Kathy. Come to Christ before it's too late. Don't be too prideful to beg. Just like you would plead with your own children to stop their wayward ways. Don't be too prideful. We're to plead with them, compel them. I said that. And how as a church do we do this? He says through our witness. Look at verse eight. He says, for the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you. The word sounded forth is interesting. It, it, it has the idea of reverberation. It's like the ringing of a bell or uh, those of you who are into ham radio, it's, it's like a radio signal that's bouncing off of the individual towers to get where it's going. It's that reverberation. It's that relaying. It's like that scene in Lord of the Rings for all my fellow nerds out there. When Gundor is calling for, for help and they light the beacons and the beacons lit here and then one miles away sees the beacon and they light their beacon and, and, and word gets all the way back to Rohan that Gundor has called and Rohan will answer. 
right? Amen. That's some good stuff there. So, (laughs) that'll preach. So, (laughs) the word of the Lord has reverberated throughout the entire region of the Thessalonican area, the entire region of Macedonia and Achaia. What an amazing picture of of evangelistic church. What in the world made it so incredibly powerful? I think some of that just has to be understood as, as God's sovereign work. But what here can we emulate? What here can we emulate? We saw that they evangelized through our witness, but it's just as, as important that we evangelize through our testimony. Look what he says here. He says, the word of God has gone forth every place. Your faith toward God has gone forth so that we do not need to say anything for they themselves report what kind of reception we had among you, how you turned from God Turn to God from idols to serve a true and living God. Everyone heard their message, but what did they see? They saw a group of people whom they had known, whom they had grown up with, whom they had worshiped idols with, but now those people were turning from their idols and serving a true and living God, and that raised attention. That raised eyebrows. They heard their message, but they also saw their lives. They also saw their testimony. They saw what was happening. They saw the fruits of repentance in their lives and their lifestyle that corresponded with their message. Beloved, it is the evidence of our lives that tell people whether our faith is real. It is the evidence of our lives. They had moved from worshiping dead and worthless idols to serving and worshiping a true and living God. A change like that is both profound and noticeable. You know, I've read this passage a hundred times over the years, probably a thousand times, and, but it never struck me how Paul worded this until I looked at this week, verse number eight. But also in every place, your faith toward God has gone out. This is really an amazing way to phrase this. It's not just that the reports of their faith has gone out. It means that the Thessalonians themselves likely have gone forth and gone out. They have gone to different areas. Maybe it's for business reasons. Maybe it's for persecution. Maybe, But for whatever it was, wherever the Thessalonians went out, their faith toward God went with them. So that the defining characteristic of their going out was not their business, was not their fleeing persecution, was not any of those things. The defining characteristic of their going out was their faith, right? And when you go to work every morning, is the defining characteristic of your going to work your faith? When you wake up your kids in the morning, is the defining characteristic of your parenting your faith? When you, when, you, when you finally reach that point of retirement, is the, is the defining characteristic of your retirement your faith? Or is it something else? Is it something else? Beloved, the most important thing you take with you everywhere you go is your faith in Jesus Christ. It's the most important thing. You wanna see the power of God unleashed in our church, then let the word of God reverberate throughout our church and community. Don't let the word stop in the pulpit. 
Don't let the word stop in the preaching. Take it throughout the church, to the Sunday school classes, to the small groups. Let the word sound forth in the music ministry, youth ministry, children's ministry. Yes, even the nursery. Let the nursery be filled with the word of God. Children's church, friendships in the church, families, take the word into your work. Parents, bring the gospel into how you're raising and training your kids. Husbands and wives, think about the centrality of the gospel when you relate to one another. Deacons, and you're helping and serving the church, think about putting feet and hands onto the word. Let the word breathe and flow freely in our church, and the power of God will work its way in through every corner of every heart that falls under in God and trust to the ministry of our church. Let the word breathe, flow freely. Share the faith. Share the word. We share our faith in evangelism. You know, I worked at an international paper, the paper mill in Pine Bluff, and when I first started working there, I worked in the finishing and shipping department, which we often called the fishing and sleeping department, because <laughs> that was a more apt description. And um, there's this guy that when I was there, when I first came on to work, everybody told me to avoid this guy. He was a nightmare, grumpy, arrogant, rude, self-centered, he would just assume spit on your grave is look at you. Just a terrible, terrible man. You know, when people tell me that somebody's kind of hard to deal with, I, I don't tend to run away from them. I tend to run toward them. I don't know why. I've just always been like that. I guess I like to antagonize. I don't know. Glutton for punishment, I guess. And, uh, you know, as, as I got to know this guy, I, I just didn't see it. I just didn't see it. I mean, he was, he was kind. He was, he was nothing like what they described. Well, because I was the new guy, I had to do all the grunt work. And so part of the grunt work was going to get everybody's food. And if you really want to see the power of God in your life, let the grunt get your food order wrong. And then how do you react? All right. And I got this guy's food order wrong one day. And when I was trying to figure it out, the other guy was like, oh man, you're about to get it. You are about to get it. He's like, I'm not doing that. You're gonna have to tell him. You messed it up. You, you made your bed, sleep in it. So I was like, all right. So I went and I, and I told him, I said, man, I'm sorry. Look, um, you know, I know you ordered this. I, I got confused. I ordered it wrong. You know, I'll be happy to go back and pay for your meal myself. He was like, no big deal. I can eat that just as good as I can eat anything else. And he ate it. Totally different. And so I was like, okay. And he said, everybody told you to be afraid of me, didn't they? And I said, well, I'm not gonna lie to you. Yes, they did. He said, you know what? Three months ago, you should have been. But I found Jesus. And people notice that profound of difference. Whereas before he worshiped something as simple as his food order being right and would be so mad if he didn't get it right, he turned from his worthless idols to serve a true and living God and it changed him. You think people notice that difference? 
I was in the break shack about a week later and I overheard people talking about him and saying, man, something's happened because he's not the same. People hear your message, but what do they see? What do they see? We got to share, you know, share your message with words. Yes. Okay. This stuff, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. Uh, Whatever. I understand what they're saying. Okay. You know, the statement is kind of dumb, but, but the, but the principle is correct, right? Preach the message, share the faith, not only with your words, but with your life. If people are seeing something different than what you're saying, then that's gonna fall on deaf ears. It's just gonna fall on deaf ears. I need to move on. So, secondly, we share the faith through evangelism, but we also share the faith through community. Through community. We're gonna skip much of 1 Thessalonians. I'm not not doing the series to begin a a study through 1 Thessalonians. So let's look at chapter four. There's really really the best place to look at this. Chapter four, verses nine through 12, really. We share the faith through community. We're talking about sharing your faith in evangelism, but that is not the only way we share the faith. It is is how we experience the faith in life and in community. And there are two aspects into how we share the faith in this way in this text that I see. Number one is that we share it in love for one another. Look what he says in verse nine. Now as to the love of the brethren. So he's talking about here how we share our faith and how we live our faith amongst those who are in Christ, who are among our brethren and sistren, you're included as well. Our brothers and sisters, now as to love of the the, the people of God, you have no need for anyone to write anything to you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Now, Thessalonians, their faith was so strong that they had no reason to hear the commandment again to love one another because they had been taught by God himself. In fact, they were practicing it in verse 10. Look what it says. It says, for indeed you do practice it toward all the brothers and sisters who are in all of Macedonia, Macadamia, I almost did it again. I'm getting hungry. <laughs> you are too, so I'll hurry up. Um, so Macedonia and Achaia, you've practiced love for all of them. So it is evident to me that you do not need to learn this commandment because you are doing it. You are taught by God himself. What does Paul mean by that? I think uh, it could refer to Leviticus 18, 19.18 as they were hearing the law preached and related to Christ, they would have undoubtedly heard this, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself, right? And so I am Yahweh, I am the Lord. Because I am the Lord, you are to love your neighbor as yourself. Perhaps they they were taught the Old Testament law. Perhaps they remembered when Christ said, this is the second greatest commandment, second only to loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love God, love others. 
Perhaps they've been taught the words of Christ when he said in John 13, 34, he says, I am giving you a new commandment that you love one another. And don't miss this phrase, even as I have loved you. So what's the standard here? It is how Christ has loved us. That is the way in which we must love one another. So Paul could have either one of these in mind. But I think more likely what's happening is that he is talking about the fulfillment of the new covenant. In Jeremiah 31, 33 through 34, God promised that when we come to Christ, he would take his law and he would write it on the hearts of his people so that there is a natural inclination. There is a new internal power to follow and obey and love God's commands. There is a new heart within us. The heart of flesh is removed, like we sang. The heart of, uh, excuse me, the heart of stone is removed, like we sang. And the heart of flesh is added so that we love God and keep his commandments. And not for selfish reasons, but to glorify him. There's a new internal power that comes, that that comes from being in Christ. When a person comes to the Lord, they are a new creation. And there's now a new love for God's people that's placed within them. I don't have to come to church anymore. I want to. Because I want to be among God's people. I want to be with them. We don't come to church for the music, amen? We don't come to church for the, to, to show out in our fancy new outfits. We don't come to church for all those things. We don't even really necessarily come to church for the long-winded preacher. We come to church because we love each other. We want to learn how to love each other more through the word. Amen? We want to learn how to love each other more. First one of the fruits of the Spirit. Remember in our Galatians series, we talked about the fruits of the Spirit. What was the first one? Love. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. It comes by the Spirit's work in our life. It's a supernatural love for the brothers, for the brethren and sistren placed by the Spirit for those who are in Christ. It's a supernatural work of God, but does that mean that we do nothing? No, we have to cultivate it. That's why Paul says, you have no need to hear this commandment. But I'll tell you, but we urge you in verse nine, notice that begging again. We urge you, brethren, excel still more. Cultivate that love. Cultivate it. Practice it. Just as we discussed the fruits of the Spirit, this is a work of the Lord within us, but it is also something we cultivate just like a farmer we cultivate love for one another. How? By sharing our faith together. So what are some practical ways we can do that? Well, number one, just through words. Through words. Walk across the room and tell someone, just, hello. I'm so glad to see you today in the church. Pray with them. Get to know them. This this, this is... It doesn't have to be anything real fancy. Just get to know them. Ask them about their interest. You know what? You may not be interested in what they're interested in. I mean, my idea of fishing is going to the frozen section of Walmart, right? But when we were moving Stefan yesterday, I noticed a big pile of fishing rods there. 
And guess what I ask him about very often? How's the fishing, right? Right? Am I necessarily interested in fishing? No, but I'm interested in him. I love him. You may not be interested in the hottest new Xbox game, but there are people in our church who love Xbox. Ask him about it. Well, I'm going to mention names, but since you just did that. <laughs> yes, you know. So next time you talk to Justin, ask him, hey, bud, what game are you playing on your Xbox lately? And he's going to speak to you in a foreign language. <laughs> All right? We don't speak in tongues in this church, but it's going to sound like it. And you'll probably need an interpreter, which, by the way, I can, I can provide that interpretation if you want. I'd be willing to say that most people in this room don't play Xbox, but I'd be willing to say that everybody in this room loves Justin, amen? That's what it's about. That's what it's about. Get to know them. Romans 12, chapter 10, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another. Pray for one another. Offer prayer for one another. Just be present. Just be present. Invite them to lunch. Just, just be together. Here's one thing you could do. You could do a personal Bible study on the one another's of the New Testament. In fact, I thought this was true, and I checked this last night. This, this, I, don't, I don't know how this even came to my mind last night, but I've got a, a, a document here. The one another's, practicing the one another's. Uh, I give this to counselees sometimes. And wouldn't you know it, there are 35 one another commands in the New Testament. And when I looked on my calendar last night, we are in week, today begins week 17 of the year. Do you know what that means? How many weeks are left in this year? 35. So wouldn't that be a cool thing? Just, to, just do a Google search on the one another's or if you want this document, I can give it to you. And, and you can just, not every one of them are immediately applicable, but just go through the one another's. What are, what are practical ways I can do a one another for someone this week? Welcoming one another, loving one another, honoring one another, uh, not suing one another. That's actually one of them. Um, like I said, not all of them are immediately applicable, but you get the point, right? Just practicing the one another's with each other in practical ways. So just start this week on the first one and, and just go through. There's 35 of them, 35 weeks left in the year. How perfect is that? Is God not good or what? Amen, Amen right? So that's one way. Uh, my goodness, I'm running out of time. So love for one another and love for outsiders. Look what Paul says. He says, so that, in verse 12, so that you will behave properly toward outsiders. These are the ones outside of Christ. I'm out of time. So just, uh, you know, you read these verses, lead a quiet life. In other words, free from controversy. You know, it's one thing when we're forced into controversy, like what's happening in Canada and some other states. But when you're looking for controversy, that's not Christ-like, Okay. When you're on social media starting fights, you're not being Christ-like and you're not helping the cause, all right? So attend to your own business. Don't be a busybody. Don't be the town gossip. Work with your own hands. Be a hard worker. Christians ought to be the best workers, amen? We ought to be the best employees. 
They shouldn't have to offer us a signing bonus to just come in and do an interview. You ought to be the best employees. And don't be in need. Work hard so that you don't have to be live off others, but you can be generous toward others. All those things. Jeremiah 29, 7, this is the last one. He says, what does he tell to the exiles in Babylon? He says, seek the welfare of the city that I have sent you and pray to the Lord on its behalf. Why? For in its welfare, you will have welfare. Just be kind to outsiders. Pray for the welfare of your city. Are you gonna agree with everything our city leaders do? Absolutely not. I'm, I'm assuming they're gonna do the pride parade this year again, just like they've done in previous years. I don't agree with that, not by any stretch of the imagination, but that doesn't mean that I can't be kind to outsiders. Amen? Don't be a jerk in the name of Christ. Amen? No, be Christ-like to outsiders. These two are related. Sharing your faith, both in word and life, they feed into each other. Beloved, if you are constantly sharing your faith in Jesus Christ, you are gonna feel the pressure to live it. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. So constantly share your faith. Why? Because you'll feel that pressure to constantly be living your faith. Not disqualify your message. This is a good thing. Let's go back to what we said earlier. Everywhere your faith goes out. My timer is flashing at me big time. You know, you really can't help it. You really can't help it. Beloved, when you leave this building, your real faith goes with you. Your real faith goes with you. And so when the community looks at you, what do they see? Do they see Christ? Or do they see the idols that you're serving other than Christ? So let's, let's just bow our heads for a moment and close our eyes and think about that. What, what message am I sending to those in the church and without? What, what testimony am I giving? Does my faith go with me? Or in my life, does the word stop, stop at the pulpit? Does the word stop in Sunday school? Does the word stop and not go anywhere else? Are you cultivating a love for God and for others, both in the church and without? Do you love the things that Jesus loves? Do you love the people Jesus loves? Even when they don't agree with you. One of the things I'm very proud of is that we've got both staunch Democrats and both staunch Republicans in this church. And you know what? Outside, these two groups don't love each other. But you know what? Our people love each other, amen? And I don't have to agree with you on everything. I wanna show Christ to you. I wanna show Christ to each and every one of you. And I pray that is the same for you. Through our words, through our lives. Our Father, we thank you for these principles. We thank you for these truths. And oh Lord, how we fall short. God, how we are so needy of your strength to practice this. I pray this morning that you would lead us to be more like Christ, that you would lead us to be more shaped into his image.
And if there's one here who does not know Christ, may today be the day that you've drawn them to yourself. Lead us, O Lord, by your own hand. Make us your faithful followers and make us more like you. It is in your name we pray. Let's sing this together. Let's stand up. You've sat down long enough. Let's stand up together. Let's sing this song.